Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. So may the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, thank you very much for allowing me into this wonderful pulpit. We uh, do not have such grand pulpits in the Anglican Church, at least I have not seen any. Um, I don't know if you have one in Down Patrick, do you? No, he says no as well. Uh, And to allow a bishop into it and uh, into a Presbyterian church, well, I mean, that's Uh, shows the extent of your goodwill and tolerance. Um, Thank you very much indeed. To be invited uh, again this time to talk about uh, mission to the Christian people of Bangor is rather like teaching grandma to suck eggs. Um, So much of your story is about mission. From uh, Comgal, is that the pronunciation, and Columbanus, and Malachi, and then 80 years of this convention itself, uh, and its glories of mission. I mean, what could I say uh, that you don't know already? But sometimes, of course, it is good for us uh, to be reminded of what is important, even if we know these things to be true uh, deep down in our hearts. Banga has been involved in Christian mission uh, for all these many years, and we give thanks to God uh, for that. But God's mission does not stand still. I think Bill has already uh, pointed this out. And the center of the Christian world, of Christian work, of Christian ministry, uh, seems to shift from one age to another. Uh, From the Middle East, after the conquest of Islam, it came to Europe. Uh, And now, from Europe, it is shifting elsewhere. We heard from Bob about the church in China. I mean, what a powerhouse of mission that is becoming already. They want to take the gospel back to where it came from, the Jerusalem uh, missionaries. You may have met some of them. South Korea, uh, the African continent. At the time of the Edinburgh Conference in 1910, there were 10 million Christians in sub-Saharan Africa. There are now what, Bill, 400 million? Probably still an underestimate. What a powerhouse of mission that is. And of course, uh, in your speakers this time, this is reflected, isn't it? Uh, You've got Bob from China and Tandin from Bhutan and Conrad from Zambia and myself. I mean, this probably wouldn't have happened 80 years ago. Let's, let's face it. But it is happening now, and we give thanks to God uh, for this changing face of mission within his overall providence. But then we have to ask, each generation has to ask, What is mission for us today? Uh, Bill has pointed out a very important aspect of it, and I uh, want to repeat uh, what he has said in a moment. 
but first, Roland Allen, a great uh, Anglican mission thinker, uh, if you will excuse me uh, quoting from him, uh, in his very important book, uh, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, he said, St. Paul did not establish missions, he planted churches. You see, that is what we should be doing, whoever we are and wherever we go, uh, to plant churches so that there is an abiding Christian presence in those communities, in those societies, in those nations. So uh, it is wonderful that Tandon's mother was an evangelist and Tandon was a pastor, but what is most important, I'm sure he'll agree, is that there is a church in Bhutan now. The communists declared in Albania, you heard from Will, that they would wipe out religion altogether from that nation. But Will is pastoring a church. Who has been defeated? Certainly not God, as Will has told you. And he is uh, a witness to that. Planting churches, maintaining a presence. Mission is not about hit and run. It is about being there for the long term. It is about making sure that a church, a local church, comes into existence as a result of mission and then continues with that mission in that place and perhaps beyond that place. Of course, uh, I find uh, in many parts of the world uh, a remnant of a church. You may say the old glory has departed. And you have to ask, can these bones live again? Can a viable, active Christian presence be created again in some of the countries of the Middle East today? We pray that will be so. We pray that will be so. And we want to work so that uh, under God it may come about. We have seen how when all looked hopeless in the communist world, because of the pioneering work of people like Brother Andrew and others, open doors are here, that flicker of light remained. And so when the walls came down, when the, the Iron Curtain uh, disappeared, there was opportunity once again for the church that looked a remnant once again to come to life and to flourish. Christian presence and the planting of churches is absolutely fundamental to our mission today as it was yesterday and the day before. But then these churches have to be of the soil. Bill was talking about his brother David having the dirt of Congo in his fingernails. That's about engagement. 
These churches cannot be alien islands of withdrawal from the culture in which they are set, but those which are actively engaged to know the language, to read the Bible, not just in French, but in the myriad uh, other languages of the Congo and of Central and Eastern Africa uh, that there are. Professor Lamin Sane himself, a believer from a Muslim background, uh, in his great book on the translation of the Bible into African languages, has uh, made the claim that the Christian faith is intrinsically translatable. There is no sacred language for Christians. Of course, the original language of the Bible, original languages of the Bible are Hebrew and some Aramaic and, of course, Greek, as Bill has said. But there's nothing sacred about them. It's good to know them. I struggle with them. Some of you may do that. But the faith and the Bible can be translated into every language into the thinking of every culture so that people can respond in their own way to God's word in their own time. Uh, and the response of each, as you know, is unique. How people respond to God's word in their own language is uh, intimate in a way that it cannot be if they read it in some other language. That is why the work of Bible translation, of the Bible Society, of Wycliffe, uh, whom you support, is so important and remains important today because, of course, the work is unfinished. Engagement with the culture. But as Bob and Tandon have pointed out, Sometimes we also have to say no to culture. Sometimes we have to say no, and missionaries have done this, to child sacrifice, for instance, or to widow burning in India, or to the caste system. And today also, we need to say no uh, in the name of Christ to what is a denial of God's justice, of God's truth. And the Western Church, uh, so long perhaps at ease with society, is beginning to discover this again, that sometimes we have to say no if we are asked to bake a cake we cannot bake. We have to say no even if we are going to be taken off the magistrate's bench or prevented from sitting on an adoption panel even though we may be the most qualified pediatrician there is in the county or struck off from a professional organization because we believe that it is God's plan that marriage should be between a man and a woman as the foundation for a godly family. We cannot mince our words on this. And while, of course, we seek to affirm and engage with all that is God-given in our cultures and in our societies, sometimes 
In some places, we have to say no, even at the cost of our freedom or our job, our livelihood, our professional status, whatever it may be. But mission is not just about yes and no to culture. It is also about radical service. And Bill uh, has already talked about this. Um, what radical service in the name of Christ? I mean, those last few words are very important. In Christ's name, not in anyone else's name, uh, not the Department for International Development, even if they give us money, but in the name of Christ, radical service for the gospel. Of course, the church has a long history uh, of doing this, uh, of bringing medicine and education to people who were deprived of it. The ragged schools uh, in this country, for instance, were begun by the church. The church was in the business of universal education well before the state ever thought about it. Nursing was revived as a noble profession by evangelical Christians with Florence Nightingale and others. But of course, in mission today, uh, we have to keep thinking of what service is needed now in a particular place. I was very impressed recently with meeting some South American missionaries. That's another example of how uh, mission is changing. South American missionaries working in North Africa. And they have decided that they are going to work with disabled children and their families because they find it is these families and these children who are isolated because of their disability from the rest of society. This is costly work, but it is increasingly being recognized by Muslim officials and just uh, the general population in the country that this is sacrificial work in the name of Christ, for Christ's sake, for no other reason. Those who are working with the garbage pickers in Cairo, the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, hardly regarded as human sometimes by their fellow citizens, to give them dignity, literacy, a home, a church. Amazing. I have a nephew and I'm uh, humbled by him because uh, he works with lepers. I'm so glad the leprosy mission is here. Uh, I hope you support them. I know you do. Radical acts of service. And not just radical acts of service, but the willingness to be prophetic for God's justice. God's justice is one. What makes us just? How we are accounted just before God because of what Christ has done. Of course, we don't become wholly just. That is a long process to become the justice of God, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We don't immediately become just. But being accounted just before God because of Christ's work for us, 
because of that growing desire for justice in our lives, we do need, even as those who are just and sinners at the same time, to stand for justice in the world when we need to do so. I'm so glad that uh, Tear Fund is doing this in the Congo. I'm glad that the International Justice Mission is supported uh, by this convention. I just pray that they didn't work just in 20 countries but in 200, that they had the resources uh, to do so. So the planting of churches, of Christian presence, of engagement with culture, of saying yes and no to culture in the name of the gospel and of Christ, of Christian action, of Christian service, of Christian prophecy, all of this is mission, brothers and sisters, isn't it? But in each of these aspects of mission, Christian witness is important if it is not to become merely the social gospel that Bill was warning us about. It can easily do so. Many people with good intentions have gone in to struggle with the poor or to help the poor to earn their livelihood or to educate people or to give them medicine and it's ended with being just that and nothing more. There has to be value added doesn't there, to what we are called to do. So if all of this is mission, you will be saying by now, what about evangelism? Do Anglicans believe in evangelism? Uh, the British uh, Foreign Office's uh, country report on Iran uh, says, or used to say anyway, that evangelicals fleeing Iran uh, should be afforded asylum in this country because uh, they evangelize. Uh, but Anglicans claiming uh, asylum should not be given asylum because they do not evangelize. <laughs> well, I hope uh, that the Church of Ireland uh, can give the lie to that. And other Anglican churches also, I hope. What about evangelism? Do we, Presbyterians, Anglican, Baptists, whoever it may be, do we believe in evangelism as an integral part of mission? One of the things that Western mission has done, and I hope this is a mistake that is not repeated by others who are now coming into the mission field, is to divide mission into little bits and pieces. Here is development. TFN will do that. Uh, there is church planting. CMS will do it. That's reaching a people group, CMJ or CMI or somebody might do it. And that, however well-intentioned it may be, results in this fragmentation of our missionary vision. So we have to retain a wholeness about it. And our commitment to evangelism is part of this commitment to holistic mission. Holism is not just about the body and its welfare. It is about body, soul, spirit, mind. So what about evangelism then? What, why should we engage in evangelism in today's world? Isn't it rather old-fashioned? 
Won't people stop you doing it? Well, of course the answer to that is yes. But they stop us doing it because it is dangerous. It is dangerous for false ideologies and false religions to hear the truth. It is dangerous for the Communist Party in China to hear the gospel because the gospel stands against the truth, against the falsehood, as truth against the falsehood of communism. Uh, Bhutan is known as the place of happiness. Uh, David Cameron used it as an example of how we should learn happiness, but it is false happiness built on false and insecure foundations. That is why they don't want to hear the good news being preached by Pastor Tandon, because it undermines those false foundations. So evangelism is necessary, uh, brothers and sisters, because, first of all, it leads to recognition. It leads to a recognition by people of who they are, what they have become, what is radically wrong with them. There is a judgment aspect. You know, salvation cannot be preached without judgment. Who they are, what they have become, and what they are called to be. Made in God's image, endowed with an intrinsic dignity that cannot be taken away from them. Recognition. You remember the parable uh, of the prodigal sons, I suppose we should say, because both were uh, in different ways, uh, rebelling against their father and using his wealth uh, for their own purposes. But the one who went away, what happened to him? It says that as he was with the swine, having been reduced to that kind of poverty, it says he came to himself. Uh, in the Aramaic, the language of Jesus, he came to an awareness of the condition of his soul, his nephesh. And it is then that he got up and he said, well, my father's servants are better than this. Recognition of the condition into which we have got. Unless the gospel is brought to people, shared with them, preached to them, proclaimed, this cannot happen. However radical our acts of service may be, whatever example we may set. And then, of course, that recognition leads to repentance. In the parable in Luke 15, the repentance really comes when the father comes out to meet the son. That is when the son realizes how he has wronged the father. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, a great interpreter of Middle Eastern culture and the importance of uh, that in understanding the Bible tells us that it is unthinkable for a Middle Eastern father to come out into the dusty street 
to meet and to forgive a son who has rebelled against him in that way. But this is a picture of God the Father. This is a picture of atonement. You know, uh, some Muslims said to uh, Dr. Kenneth Bailey in my presence, there is no atonement in the parable of the prodigal. And he laughed at them. He said, what do you think the Father is doing? This is self-emptying. He emptied himself, took the form of a slave. The Father is being radically humble in rushing out to meet this rebellious son. That is when the repentance comes. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. The son says, doesn't he? So the preaching of the gospel leads to that turning back again. That rectification that Bill was talking about. Of being made right again with God. Because of what Jesus has done for us. But then, it is not only recognition and repentance. Evangelism also has to do with what Paul calls in Ephesians 1, recapitulation, fulfillment in Christ. It is God's purpose that every authentic spiritual aspiration that we have is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the grand plan. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians 1.10. The fulfillment of every aspiration, of every human hope, of longing. Bob's mother, longing in those begging days of hers, that there should be a benign and beneficent heavenly power. How did her children find this fulfilled? By the coming of the gospel. It is in the face of Jesus Christ. That we see. The light. Of the father. As we have just heard in our reading. This evening. What we preach is not ourselves. God forbid. But Jesus Christ as Lord. For it is God who said let light shine out of darkness. Who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The true heavenly grandpa. You have found that your mother aspired to. And then of course, evangelism is necessary because of that great and central Christian truth of reassurance. You know, everywhere I go, people are practicing their religion. Sometimes assiduously, sometimes half-heartedly, sometimes with full belief, sometimes with half-belief, sometimes even with no belief. Just mechanically. But they do not know that this practice is going to save them. They don't know that. They hope for the best. Maybe they pray for the best. Sometimes they may work for the best. But Christian assurance is based not at all 
on what we do or think or are, but what has been already accomplished for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. That has many different consequences, of course, in our lives and in the life of the church and indeed in the world. But our assurance in the end is not based on what we do, but on our trust. That is what the word faith means, doesn't it? On our trust in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So there are many different aspects to Christian mission. You have heard about them uh, from distinguished practitioners and thinkers of mission. Mission has to do with planting churches, with creating an effective Christian presence. It has to do with engaging with culture and language. It has to do with saying yes and no to what is going on in our world from time to time and in place to place. It has to do with radical acts of service and of being prophetic in the name of Christ. And it has to do with a holistic concern, concern for the whole person, body, mind, soul, spirit. It has to do with adding value to who we are and what we do as Christians. And it has to do, yes, it has to do in the end with intentional evangelism. Uh, mission is not complete without that. If anyone tells you otherwise, don't believe them. Because, as St. Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We do not tamper with God's word. We do not take out the best bits just to make God's word comfortable to people around us. But by open statement of the truth, open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone. So I pray that as you enter this next phase of your ministry as a convention, that you will, of course, keep in mind every aspect of mission, to hear about it, to think about it, to pray about it, to support it, but that you will also ask everyone, including yourselves, of course, whether you are committed to the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God that Paul said he had declared to the Ephesians. Or only a part. If it is only a part, recover the whole. God bless you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.